Would you find in your Bibles 1 Samuel chapter 21, Old Testament, as we continue on our journey talking about He's still King, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we're looking at the life of David that reminds us that regardless of the obstacles or giants in our lives, we know that He is greater than all of these things. And we're glad that we're glad that you're here today. We are uh, constantly want to be reminded that we are people of the book. We worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to listen to His Word so that we might be able to continue to find His instructions, be drawn closer to Him. Next week, we've done this a couple of times and now uh, we're doing it again. It's even part of our vision plan for discipleship and growing. We're doing another 100 days of Bible reading and prayer. And we're going to kick that off uh, next uh, Sunday. And you'll uh, get uh, uh, that in your uh, worship folder as well as I'm sure we'll have it online. 100 days of Bible reading, focusing on the first five books of the Bible as well as the four Gospels during those 100 days. Kind of the idea that uh, if you stay with us in our 100 days that you will have read through the Bible uh, by the time we finish our vision plan, first vision plan through 2025 or before then. Now, uh, you can add it to something you're already reading. Hopefully it will be a help for your reading. Uh, you could keep your own reading, not do the 100 days. The idea, of course, is that uh, we want you to be in God's Word. And hopefully this will be things that we'll be discussing in the hallways and classrooms, those such of things. This is what we were reading this week. And what do you think about this? What, this is what I've learned. So I'm looking forward to those another 100 days. And uh, this will take us actually through if we begin next week's promotion Sunday for Sunday School. So it's kind of a kickoff for this semester. And then... With those 100 days, we'll finish, I think, right around Thanksgiving or the week before Thanksgiving. So uh, we'll be looking forward to that. Today, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And uh, we're actually going to read all of the chapter before it's done. But let's begin with the first nine verses. 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning with verse 9. Would you stand, if you are able, in honor of the Word of God as it is read? Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you, with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will there be vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod, if you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today, and you may be seated. There is a game that is played by kids at church. 
Ever since there have been church buildings, kids, once they may be out of the supervision of their parents or their teachers, deacons' kids play it, uh, preachers' kids play it, Sunday school teachers' kids, and any children that have been left here for any amount of time when they are a little bit unsupervised. It is called hide and seek in and around the church building. And uh, you don't have to ask them to play it. It doesn't take long. Suddenly, if they're not being watched, something about the church building with all the rooms and the nooks and the crannies, they find it ideal for children to be able to play hide and seek. One night after church, when our children, my children, were very young, and they had come home, and one of our daughters had a rash of such all over her arms and legs and other such places, And after discussion of where have you been or what have you been doing, we come to find out that she had been playing hide and seek in the church and found herself in an unfinished part of the church and hiding in what she called what looked like pink fuzzy stuff and uh, that did not feel very good. I said, my dear, you have been hiding in uh, fiberglass insulation. And, of course, as a parent and particularly as pastor, I said, let that be a lesson to you not to play hide-and-seek at church or don't find yourself in places where you should not be. I figured the fiberglass insulation was enough punishment. I did not tell her that I used to play hide-and-go-seek in the church, and sometimes I still do with deacons and certain members of the church. (laughs) They just don't know it. No, that's a joke. That simply is not true. However... If you are on the run, if you're seeking to hide or away from God, you will eventually find yourself in a place where it will not be good for you, nor will it be good for the Lord that you serve. David has become a fugitive from King Saul in this particular episode of Saul's life. The definition of a fugitive is a person who has escaped or in hiding, especially to avoid arrest or persecution. David has now come on the run. Uh, For Saul, who sought to take his life already, and because of his jealousy of David, and because of his, in Saul's eyes, trying to protect the kingdom, he is after David. Now, David, we know, has already been anointed as the next king of Israel. In Saul's days as king are limited. They are coming to an end because of his unfaithfulness to God. We read through verse 9, but if you look at verse 10... 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 10, the very first part of that verse, it serves as kind of a summary of the next 10 chapters and the next 10 years of David's life. It says, David rose and fled that day from Saul. Now today, as you walked into this room today, we recognize that all of us are on somewhat of a spiritual journey, even if we do not realize it. And you have come today, and you may have come, and you may be walking and growing closer to the Lord, and you may be finding yourself at the center of God's will, continuing and seeking to search God to become more like Jesus. Or you may have be experiencing the opposite of that. That is, you're not near the Lord as maybe you once were or as you should be, but instead you were away from God and you are drifting, maybe even running away from God, or maybe it's something that is happening very slowly. If you're not intentionally seeking to and taking steps to run to Jesus and grow and become more like him than by fault, you are moving away in the other direction. So let's talk for a few moments. First of all, and maybe learn from our scripture here today, uh, 
maybe indications, biblical indications, that you may be moving away from the Lord. Let's consider, can we go ahead and ask the question, why is it that David is running from King Saul? Well, I mean, the obvious reasons, of course, King Saul's out to take his life. But don't you remember, just a few episodes ago, David had taken care of the giant Goliath. And he said, the same God who's protected me from the bear and the lion will give me victory over this giant. So why is it that when he showed great faith then that now he's running from King Saul? Well, it may be that we want to consider the fact that David was not so much in fear for his life at first, but he did not want to harm the one or to be confronted by the one whom he considered to be the Lord's anointed king before him. And in fact, on two occasions while David is on the run, he has opportunity to take Saul's life. And one of those, particularly his men, prompted him to do so and to put an end to this running and hiding. But he refused. And he, had, he also he had a promise from the Lord that he was to be the next anointed king. The prophet had told him that he was to be the next king of Israel. Uh, so there's a promise that this is not yet fulfilled, but it is to come. And he certainly could have relied on that promise. David still had choices to make in his life. And there's a great mystery that we may not be able to comprehend in this life that concerning the sovereignty of God, as well as the free will of men and women and boys and girls. Those of us who are in Christ, who are in the family of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we still must choose every day to follow into fellowship with him. We, not in order to keep our salvation, but in order that we might be a usable vessel of his. So what's an indicator that you might be moving away from the Lord? Yeah, that is when we are leaving the Lord out of your decisions, thinking, and discussion. When you're leaving the Lord out of your decisions, thinking, and discussion. Most people who know anything about the Bible, they know some of maybe the more well-known stories about uh, David, the half dozen or so, what we might consider the more famous stories about the anointing of David, of course, about David and Goliath, when David becomes king, David dancing before the Lord when the ark is brought back to Jerusalem. David is confronted by Nathan the prophet who says to him, who says to David, you're the man, but not in the good way. Well, we're going to talk about all of these and, and more, but what many do not know is that David's life and faith in God is represented kind of a roller coaster, maybe like some of our lives, a roller coaster of great faith and not so great faith, of great faith and sometimes a forgetful or a fallen faith, at least for a short time. And so for the rest of 1 Samuel and most of 2 Samuel, 30 or so chapters of the Bible still to go about David, you'll need to know if what is being written and what we read about David is a prescription of a good example for us to be able to follow about David's life, or it's simply a description that describes what David did, but it was not a good example. Because if you're not careful, you might read something that David did, and you figure David is a pretty good guy, so it may be okay that we follow in David's footstep. And David did it, it must be okay. But this is a good case in point. David flees and he goes to somewhere that he knows that he'll be accepted and helped. And he goes to Nob which Nob was the primary sanctuary site at that time. It was the city of priests, about a couple of miles north of Jerusalem. But notice what David tells the priest. I'm on a king's errand. I'm on the king's errand. And I'm on a secret mission from the king. Well, is that the truth? 
Now, I've heard many give a good defense for David that when David was saying these things, he wanted to protect the priest from being accused of helping the fugitive of the king. He, David was wanting to give David what we might now call plausible deniability, but it did not work. Because later we'll find out in another chapter when the king finds out that Ahimelech had actually helped David and that David had been there, Saul had him killed and every priest in that city except one. I do kind of like the defense that sometimes is given from da about David that when David said he was on the errand for the king, he didn't mean King Saul. He meant uh, God, the king for whom David called God, his king many times in the Psalms. and He was on the errand for the king of kings and God the king. So technically, some have said he didn't lie. What do you think the priest thought? I think the priest probably thought that unless David winked at him and pointed up, maybe that maybe the priest probably thought that David was there from King Saul's errand. And he went on to say, it's a secret mission. I can't tell you what it is. And I've got some men that are going to be waiting for me. They're going to meet me at such and such place. And we left in such a hurry that we didn't pack any food. We don't have a shield and don't have a sword. So whatever you can help me with, boy, that would be great. Now we find the only food that they had was the holy bread called the bread of presence. And the priest gave some to David after finding out if they would be spiritually clean, physically clean in order to be able to take that and figured that it was okay since it was kept David from starving his men that he thought were coming as well. Only sword that was in the place was the sword of Goliath held in a special place. He took it. I mean, after all, David took down the one for whom it belonged. Why not let David have that sword? It appears if David is not telling a bold-faced lie, he's at least skirting the truth and then keeps digging himself deeper and deeper. Now, some of, for some of you who have teenagers in your home, or you've had teenagers sometime in your home, or you were a teenager, it is about that time that we learn to say things that may be technically true or truth just enough that we're called on, well, we can still have a defense. Yes, I said that I took the garbage out. You told me to take the garbage out. I took the garbage out. No, I did not take it all the way to the curb. You didn't say to take it to the curb, you know, but I'm sure we could find some better examples of that, but, you know, so maybe I'm okay. Teenagers begin to learn how to manipulate words of truth so that they sound like truth. Adults learn to perfect it. This has may have been what was happening with David, but if we're doing it, what we're doing is really intent on misleading, what make, make us feel better. Maybe they didn't tell the full lie, but it's still wrong. There's no reason for David to misrepresent the truth. In fact, you can mark chapter 21 in the stories of David of now having to pay attention and to discern. Is David being a good example or a bad example? Sometimes he will be a stellar example. He'll be an example of Jesus Christ himself. Some will be easy to spot as not a good example like with David and Bathsheba. And others will be a good example like his repentance of sin or bringing praise and dancing before the Lord when the ark is brought. Well, how do you know? How can you tell, particularly as we read these? I want to prepare you for reading these. How can you tell? Well, when you take a look at these chapters and the stories of David, almost chapter by chapter, you can tell by asking, is the Lord's name mentioned? Or is it mentioned concerning David? Chapter 21 is kind of what we're focusing on here. The Lord's name is not mentioned, or it's mentioned only once with referring to the holy bread. Well, just kind of give us an example. Look at uh, 
just a couple of chapters over. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 23, just to point out a couple of verses. 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 2 says, Therefore David inquired of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 4 says, Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him. 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 11 says, Will the men of Keilah, the Lord, David's asking the Lord, Will the men of Keilah surround me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. This is going to help us as we move forward, as we study God's word about David to be able to see is the Lord mentioned in this chapter or if he's not mentioned in the chapter. If he's not mentioned in the chapter, then probably we do not see that as a good example for us to be able to follow. But this will also help you to be able to understand if you are growing or if you are, it's an indication that you may be moving away from the Lord that is, that if you are leaving the Lord out of any chapter of your life or any season of your life or in your daily walk with Him. Another indicator that you may be moving away from the Lord, it is that when you are replacing faith with fear. Replacing faith with fear. David flees because of his fear of either confronting Saul or that Saul would try to kill him again. He's already made three attempts on his life and put a contract on, on his head for all of Israel. Ahimelech, the priest, we read just a moment ago, he's trembling with fear, the scripture says, when David shows up unannounced and he's all alone. And the priest accommodates David with food and the sword of Goliath. We see a lot of evidence in this chapter of fear. We don't see much evidence of faith. Let's go and read on a little bit more. 1 Samuel chapter 21. We'll read verses, uh, begin verse 10. We already read the first part of that verse. We'll read through this, the end of the chapter. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of Israel? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart, was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate. And let a spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why, why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? How fearful would David have to be to go to one of the major cities of the Philistines uh, in order that he might be able to feel safe? The enemy of Philistines, the enemy of Israel. Gath is where Goliath is from. What does David have now in his possession? He has the sword of Goliath. That's probably pretty hard to hide. And David has battled and killed many other Philistines. What, has, what was he thinking? Fear has clouded his judgment and his reasoning. It would not be the only time. The servants of the Philistine king asked, Isn't this David? King of the land, they call him. King of the, either they were confused or maybe they were saying that for all practical purposes because of David, the folklore, and the love of the people for David. And he appeared to be the king. He was taking care of uh, most of the kingdom business, it seemed, and, and all the people as the king should have been doing. And the song that we are introduced to in chapter 18 where the ladies made up and sang on behalf of Saul and David as they came back from battling the Philistines 
it must have made the top 10 or the top 100 because it had been known outside the land of Israel. Because the Philistines asked the question, isn't this the same song that the Israelites sing about David? Somebody must have said, hum a few bars, and let's see if I know what you're talking about because they sang the chorus. Saul's killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. I'm going to make this conclusion and boldly say that David's not where he's supposed to be. If you're facing giants in your life, if you're facing obstacles, be they physical or financial or whatever it may be, in David's case it was relational, and you're overcome by fear, worry, or anxiety, if you're not running toward Jesus, you're going to find yourself in a place that you do not need to be and where you do not want to be. The good news is there is hope for today and you can place your faith in Jesus and he's waiting for you to run toward him. I I have found that there are many Christians that find themselves in a catch-22 or maybe a vicious cycle of adding to their worry because they are Christians. Now let's agree that we're not supposed to worry. Numerous times in the Bible it tells us not to worry. Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field, consider the birds of the air. I care for them, I care for you even more, cares for us even more, so we do not worry. Paul tells us not to worry, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. More than one occasion we find that. Why do you think we're told in the Bible not to worry so many times? Because the Lord knew we were going to worry. We have a tendency to worry. And as Christians, don't make the mistake of worrying more because you know that you're not supposed to worry. The Lord wants to break you free from this cycle. Fear, anxiety, or worry, or feelings. And sometimes we cannot stop the onslaught of the feelings that overwhelm us because we are humans. But these are feelings that we are not to act upon as our selfish nature would do. We're not to act upon except to bring to Jesus. Do you think David's fear was real? Sure, and for a time his fear overcame his faith. But if you allow God to do so, your faith will overcome your fears and your worries and your anxiety instead of the other way around. When fear, worry, or anxiety comes on, saying that you're a person of faith is good. But for faith to overcome your fears, you must act on your faith. That is, to run toward Jesus in your prayer life. That is to spend time meditating and reading and looking at God's Word and applying that by yourself as well as with others. That means spending time in personal worship and in corporate worship with others. And here's the kicker. What do we do with our worry and our fears? We seek to be faithful to God in all ways and in everything and in all that God wants you to do. Now, you and I are not going to be perfect in this. But we can seek to be faithful, confess sin daily, ask God, depend on Him for guidance. And whatever it is you are worried about in all other aspects as well, don't let fear be re- replace your faith. Another indicator that you're moving away from the Lord. That is pretending to be something or somebody that you're not. Be who you are in Christ. David, the uh, warrior, was also David, the shepherd, who was also David, the musician. Suddenly, he becomes David, the thespian, 
He's the actor. David, who's fearful of Saul, finds himself in a place God does not want him to be. And now, as is often the case, his fears are doubled. He's now afraid in the Philistine hands and afraid of the king of the Philistines. So what does he do? He acts loony. He acts as if he is touched in the head. He destroys property by scratching on the gates and spittles running down from his beard. Hey, he's using his head, sort of. How am I going to get out of this jam? I'll just pretend I'm crazy. Now, see the reaction of the king of the Philistines as kind of comical. (laughs) He says, I'm surrounded by enough crazy people. Why do I need more? In fact, he does have unusual people there in the land of Gath. What do you know about any of them? Well, there's some of them that are inordinately tall. We saw a few weeks ago where we read that one had 12 fingers and 12 toes, 24 digits in all. And he's thinking, man, why do I need another strange madman in my service, the king says. And from one perspective, it seems smart to act like that you're not, from David's perspective. For those of us who are not necessarily born extroverts, you ever keep your hand down when called upon, but even if you know the answer because you're afraid you might be called upon? Or sometimes not only on class, but on the job or life itself. But for those of you who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told and we are instructed to let our light shine. Jesus said you're not to hide your light under a bushel, but you are to set it out for all to be able to see. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might be able to see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In Christ, you are a new creation. Now, there's, there's fruit that is produced in your life that includes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You are Christ's ambassador. You're commissioned to share the good news and show God's love. That is who you are. But when you and I look more like the world than we look like Jesus, this may be an indication of moving away from the Lord rather than running to Him. Well, how does this happen? Sometimes, like in David's case, it's more gradual than abrupt. In this chapter, David did not flee to the Philistine territory first, but he went to the priest. He misrepresented the truth. Then in his mind, he thought he would be safer in the enemy territory than he was in Israel. Now, don't let that be lost that some Christians can convince themselves that they're safer with the world than they are with the church or with God's people. Now, Yes, we are to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And at the end of the chapter, what are we reading? Well, what's happened now? David's acting like a madman, feeling this bizarre behavior. It's the only chance that he has. The psalmist said, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Note the progression in that psalm. Walks, stands, and then sits. If we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, we will not sit in the seat of scoffers. If David had run to the Lord in the first place, he would not had to have acted like a madman at the end of the chapter. If you do not leave the Lord out of your any chapter or season or day of your life, You'll never have to pretend to be something or somebody that you are not. Instead, as the psalmist said, delight yourself in the Lord and in His Word. 
Now, in contrast to moving away from God, what does it mean to be running to the center of God's will? So let's ask the question, is the center of God's will the safest place to be, really? The answer is yes and no. It is definitely the spiritually safest place to be in Christ. We know our salvation is secure. In the center of God's will, we know that we are pleasing Him and our fellowship and confidence for daily living is beyond comparison. And we know that we are able to be a usable vessel. It is a safe place spiritually. And in contrast to what you may hear on some smiling, slick-haired preachers on television, physically, even in Christ, we are not promised tomorrow, nor are we promised health and safety or wealth But we are promised that the Lord will sustain us and be our refuge and strength and he will never leave. From the original 12 disciples to modern day missionaries and others living in places where it's dangerous to be a Christian, people have given their lives for their faith in Jesus and the progression of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They know the importance of following God's will. In a couple of weeks on a Wednesday night, we're going to be having a study on the Beatitudes and of Jesus and what it means to have a blessed life. And a blessed life in Jesus has little to do with health and wealth, but everything to do with participating with Jesus and building the kingdom of God. I share this with you today because I want you to to decide that you want to run to the center of God's will, not because it might help your bank account, not because it will help you with some disease or even that you'll live longer here on earth, not even so that you know that you'll have a home in heaven because we know that's promised to us and Jesus has provided that. But I want you to run to the center of God's will because you want to get in on what God is doing because you love Him, because He has loved you, and because of that you want to please Him with every fiber of your being. So what are some indications of running to the center of God's will? What do we need to do? Well, Thanking God for daily provisions is one. Jesus used this event with David in 1 Samuel chapter 21, taking of the holy bread given by the priest to defend the disciples of the New Testament. Many of you are familiar with the story. The disciples are walking through the grain fields and the disciples are simply popping the grain and eating those as they walk through the grain field. And we know that the religious leaders ridiculed them for the popping off of the grain heads, eating on because it was the Sabbath. And technically, according to the man-made Jewish laws, that was considered work and there was to be no work on the Sabbath. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 and 4 says this. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Jesus was teaching a lesson on faithful obedience and spiritual discernment and not just relying on rituals and laws. But does it seem strange to you that Jesus would use the story about David, this particular story, where David was not necessarily in the center of God's will and he used it to teach a New Testament lesson? Quick lesson from Leviticus and the reason that you need to read Leviticus from time to time. The holy bread or the bread of presence was the bread that was put in the tabernacle on every Sabbath. There would be 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The bread of presence would represent the presence and the provision of Jesus. And not only that, that it would point to one who is the bread of life, who is Jesus. 
Only priests were to eat of the holy bread. And the priest had it right. Jesus confirmed that he had it right because at least the knowledge that the priest had was that here was David. He didn't have any provisions rather than let him starve to death or his men that he said that he was going to meet starve to death. Uh, He gave them of the bread. Uh, Figured this was more important than following the ritual. One could argue, and many have, David lied. He really did not deserve to eat of the bread. However, if our daily provision was dependent on our perfection or sinlessness, we would all be skin and bones. I'm a sinner who is saved by grace, seeking to walk with Jesus. The closer I come to Jesus, the more flaws that I see in my own life. Uh, 21,000 900 days on this earth next week. And I have eaten one meal at least every single day. And on some days I've eaten many, many more. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you have somehow provided for yourself or you've provided for your family. Know that it has only been Jesus who has done that very thing to provide the bread and what we need in order to be able to eat or in order to be able to work and do the things that we do and particularly in order to provide our salvation and everything that is in between so if you want to run to the center of God's will will you begin by thanking and praising God for your daily provision of bread and your eternal provision of salvation both are only found in Jesus well somebody might ask if that's true then how are lost people able to eat every day it's only by the grace of God and by the way if you're asking that question that you still need to comprehend more about God's grace and provision Well, also if we're going to be running to the center of God's will, we need to trust God when facing obstacles. Trusting God when facing obstacles. Don't think the story of 1 Samuel 21 is one insignificant story in the Bible. Jesus referred to this story in the New Testament. David wrote two psalms about this particular story and these events. No doubt after he'd come to his spiritual senses and realized God had provided and protected, even when he was not in the center of God's will. One of those psalms is Psalms 34. I think I've got on the screen for you the first four verses. David wrote, after his encounter with uh, the Philistines and after he had pretended to be crazy, he wrote this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. Later in verse 8 it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord delivers and you can trust him. I want us to be able to kind of get a full description of what's happening here and what happens next. Just in the first few verses of chapter 22. Chapter 22 in verse 1 it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam when his brothers and all his father's house heard it. They went down there to him. David comes to this cave, which is now back in the land of Palestine, back in the land of Israel, just inside Israel. But uh, he's moving back into the center of God's will. Who joins him? His mom and dad and his brothers. Now, the only indication we have so far of how his brothers feel about David is when David shows up at the battlefield and they are confronting Goliath. And the confrontation actually from the brother was not pleasant. But now that he's on the run from King Saul, they're the first ones to come to his side. 
What was their motivation? Was it for support and encouragement? Maybe because now they're wanting to follow the one who's going to become the king. Or maybe it was for help and protection and the needs that they had. Now, it could be a mixture of all three, but probably it was the latter. After all, the tyrannical King Saul who was out to kill David actually had tried to kill his own son because he befriended David. David's family would not be safe in Bethlehem. Look who comes and joins David next. Verse 2, 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2. It says that everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter and so gathered to him and he became the commander over them and there were with him about 400 men. Maybe they were in debt because of their taxes and the old king Saul. Maybe they were in distress or bitter because of the lack of conscience that was happening there in the land of Israel. They had come and they were willing to follow and to rally around David, willing to live as nomads, perhaps, in the land. Uh, 400, then later 600, became a mighty army. David's army, God's army. God's army, like Christ's church in the center of God's will, becomes a mighty force for kingdom work. That's where I want to be. Read verses 3 and 4. It says, And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with them with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Uh, David takes his mom and dad to a place where they can find refuge in the land of Moab. Can you remember anybody else that was from Moab? How about Ruth, the great-grandmother of, of David? You think God had this planned all along? Hey, it's another reason to run to the center of God's will because he's got a plan. With whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going through, he's got a plan. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss his plan. We'll read one more verse today. Verse 5 says this, Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Prophet of God by the name of Gad told him he needed to return back to the land of Judah. Now, David has made full circle. And now he's closer than he has been to be in the center of God in this chapter, this season of his life. What does it mean to run to the center of God's will? It means turning back to God when you have drifted away or for the very first time. So let me ask you today, again, as you've come into this place, have you found yourself not where you need to be? Have you drifted away? Well, now it's time in order that you might be able to turn back to him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord, it is time for you to turn to him for the very first time. And you can do that by asking Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, asking Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. And if you feel that you're in the center of God's will or seeking to be in the center of God's will, maybe it's a reminder Maybe this is encouragement to keep on doing that. I mentioned about hide and seek that sometimes kids play at church or whatever. I'm not advocating that, you understand, children, if you're listening. But wouldn't it be tragic to play hide and seek? Well, I'm sure it's happened maybe and nobody comes looking for you. Can I guarantee you today that if you're away from God, if you've drifted away, or if you don't know God as your Lord and don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I can guarantee you. The Lord's looking for you.
And he's using everything that is happening in your life, including the very message and the songs that we have sung today, in order that you might be brought close to him or to stay in the center of God's will. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for the words that come from your word so that we might be able to understand, that we might be able to draw close to you. We pray, Father, even now that uh, we may feel a sense of nearness to you, maybe like we've not done before. Maybe if we have been near, that we know that we can always draw near. And we pray that that may be happening now, Father, even in this service, and that you might be at work in our lives. We pray, Father, for all those here, those who may be listening today, that there's someone here that does not know you as Savior and Lord, that today might be the day of salvation, that they know that they can call upon you. Thank you for being at work in our lives today to draw us close to you. Thank you for paying the ultimate price of leaving the throne room of heaven and dying on a sinner's cross and taking our place so that we might know you. We thank you for the resurrection so that we might be able to know we can have new life in you. Father, continue to be at work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen.